And let's go. Let's go. Welcome into another episode of We're Talking Tonight. Greg Malawson and Chris Lano, former Cajun football player Chris Lano. How you doing tonight, Chris? Yeah, welcome. Welcome. It's uh it's it's a pleasure being here along with you. And um, you know, I'm excited about it. We've been talking about this for a few weeks, but here we are now, just only a couple days away from opening kickoff. And man, it, it's always an exciting time, but not as exciting as being here with you, Craig. Oh, I it, it's hard. It's hard, I know. And I failed to mention too, though, former color analysts for radio and TV, and you may get that opportunity as as time permits during the season to get another opportunity to do that. So uh, always uh, enjoyed our time on the road together, giving you shit. So, well, well, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because, you know, G and I, we, we touch base from time to time and we actually uh, reunited at the scrimmage a couple of weeks ago where the gridiron alumni was able to cook for the team on a Saturday after one of their scrimmages. And we were talking um, just kind of, you know, the, the type of language that him and I like to speak of, just kind of shooting the shit, of course, you know, him and G, 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 G and I. And, um, he, you know, he was joking around, you know, Crippley, if you ever want to do a game, let me know. I can always take an injury. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm looking down at my calendar. I'm looking down at that schedule. Okay, let me, let me pick this week. Let me pick that week. But, yeah, just joking aside, though, yeah, he's probably going to do the whole season. But if something were to ever happen, I'm right there in the uh, – Right, right there on deck, and I'll, I'll be excited to kind of take over for a week or two and uh, look forward to possibly potentially working with the old Jay Walker. Well, you know, you're the only guy I think that I have on that I've had on that's not a baseball guy first. No, but no. But, but I was growing up. I, I was always a baseball guy growing up. I thought I was going to be a baseball guy in my later years. Uh, like when I say that in my early 20s, I was – always aiming to go beyond the high school sports going into baseball. I mean, that's, I mean, it was popular back in the late nineties. That was a sport growing up. There's no doubt about it, but I think my body grew into football and uh, it was more of a passion for me, the way I decided to train with the weights. And I think that kind of lingered with my style of play for, for baseball. And, you know, eventually I just, you know, I, I, I just transformed more into a football player and, and, you know, I can't have any regrets. It worked out for me. Well, you know, you're uh, you're lucky enough that one thing I have, I've been to uh, four opening days at, uh, in Cincinnati, but the one thing I've never done has been to a World Series game, which you went to. So I hate game you for that. Seven. Game seven. Game seven. So yeah, I, I remember that morning we were waking up, my wife and I, I leaned over and I asked her, babe, we may never get this opportunity again where game seven's right there in your backyard. We've got to, we've got to take advantage of it. We have to do it because – like you know, more than likely, it's it's we're never going to have this opportunity for the foreseeable future. And you know, look at it, looking at, at it now, unless the Pelicans were to go into a game seven at their home court, which very unlikely in my lifetime, it's it's that opportunity is never going to come about again. So we pounced on it and we had a great time. Unfortunately, the Astros weren't able to pull it off, but the memories will still stick. Yeah, absolutely. I, I can only imagine. Well, Chris, we're here to talk football, so let's talk some football. Let's start out uh, at the very top, uh, as I like to do, with the quarterback position. You and I have uh, both been to practices over the year and got to see Chandler Fields um, practice 
and we've seen him in some games now. What's your thoughts on Chandler being named the uh, starting quarterback? Well, you know, I go back to the spring of 2019. The um, Actually, no, I take it back. It, it was the spring of 2018 going into the first season, the inaugural season of Billy Napier. And it's when I had a chance to meet him on the golf course. Uh, we had a Gridiron Alumni Tournament. And he was able to come out. And one of the things he talked about at that time, you know, it's amazing. You got to go all the way back to 2018. He was talking about one of the quarterbacks that he was recruiting. And the name he kept bringing up was Chandler Fields. And so, you know, that name stuck with me, has been sticking with in my head for that many years going back. And, you know, I like to quote the old Tony Robichaux when I think about Chandler. It's work while you wait. And I think for a guy like Chandler, that's what he's done. He's been patient. Uh, on the sidelines, allowing Levi just to kind of um, fill in that void at quarterback, which he has done very well in the last couple of years. But he's been patient, and when his number has been called, he has come in and he has performed, even though it's been very seldom the last several years. And, you know, I think he's got the right attitude. He's got the right mindset coming in. I think he comes from a good high school pedigree from where he played, uh, more pro-style offense. And the one thing that Coach Desimo has harped on, and I think it holds true because I've gotten a chance to see him a couple times myself in scrimmages, is that he likes to take shots. He likes to throw the ball down the field. He likes to move the chains. And I think the kind of team that we have coming back for this year, where we don't have all the pieces, especially at running back and an offensive line, that we've had in the last several seasons, we're going to need a quarterback that takes shots and we, we need to be a little bit more methodical on how we do things. I believe and more of a pro style offense, being able to throw in between the hashes. And um, I, I think Chandler was the right decision. And he, you know, he's been in this program for many years. I think he has great identity with the players and I'm looking forward to him. I, you know, his time is here and he he's earned it. He's earned it at this point, And I couldn't be more excited about it. Yeah, you know, uh, I, I think one of the things that impressed me the most is uh, is that when he had the opportunity to come into a game last year, Billy Napier just didn't send him in to hand the ball off. He, he Even if it was for one play, Chandler threw the ball down the field. It wasn't one of those, you know, hand the ball off or uh, jet sweeps or, or a swing pass. He was throwing the ball downfield. He was throwing the ball, ball downfield. There's no question about it. And the one thing I like about Chandler, and even when he came in, when he enrolled in his first season, now remember, he enrolled early. Uh, he graduated a semester early at Rumble, and he enrolled in, he has, so he has an extra spring under his belt. It, it looked like when I got to evaluate him just from a physical standpoint, he had already had his man body develop. You know, he's built from the waist down. I mean, he's bulky. He's thick. He's got those nice thick legs that we could take a beating if he were to run down the field. And I think there's going to be opportunities where he is going to tuck it and run it. I think he has that ability. There's no question he's fast enough. He He's mobile enough. He's athletic enough. But the one thing about Chandler, he is looking down the field and he's going to want to throw first. And if you look at this receiving core, you know, I, I think back and, um, you know, I, I cannot pinpoint who the alpha male is on the receiving core. And that's something we may talk about later on in this show. But you look at the girth of the guys that we have in Stevens and Jefferson and Peter LeBlanc. I mean, we're talking about guys who stand 6'3", 6'4", and bigger, and they can run. They can run. And I think that's a lot of weapons for a guy like Chandler, which can eliminate a lot of mistakes 
that he could possibly make throwing the ball down the field. And I think because of that, he's being put in a good situation with the receiving ball he has for this season. We'll get into the receivers in just a second, but let's talk a little bit about you. You mentioned him running the ball. Do you think that is something we'll see a little bit more of like Levi did the last two or three games of the season? Or do you well, think? Or well, I, I think with Levi Lewis and I think the coaches, I don't even know. I don't know this for sure. I'm just speculating. But if you look at the film, I mean, we've seen Levi the last three years and it's been pretty evident. It always appeared that, you know, Running the football with Levi Lewis was an absolute last resort. And I don't think he was coached to run the football after his first check down was not there. I think the coaches wanted him in the pocket. I think what Levi did best as a quarterback was the fact that because he was such a great athlete, he eluded the rush better than anybody else on our team. And, and more so than anybody else in the conference. And, and you can look around the country and, and maybe and just nationally, he was just one of the best in fielding pressure and expanding the play. And I think for that, I think the coaches harped on Levi Lewis week in and week out, stay in the pocket, don't take off unless you absolutely have to, have to look down the field, throw the ball down the field. But if it's your last absolute resort, take off and run. And we've seen that because he did not rush the ball that often. I think a guy with Chandler Fields, but the lack of experience, you know, he may look at one check down, not there, take off and run. Um, so we'll, we'll see. And, and, you know, he's a little bit short, uh, you know, Levi was shorter, but I've seen a few scrimmages where it kind of appeared that Chandler was having a little issues looking over the offensive line. I think it, with experience, just understanding the defenses, he's going to get better at that. Um, but then again, I, I think as time, as the season goes along, I think Chandler Fields, you know, I think what the coaches want him to do, they want him to be a drop back passer because he has the weapons along the outside. He has a very, a very good versatile running back, Chris Smith, who I believe is going to receive the bulk of the carries, being able to catch the ball out of the backfield as his check down receiver. You brought up the receivers uh, earlier, though, when you talked about Jefferson Stevens and LeBlanc. I, is that the strength of the offense right now? There's no question about it. I don't think it's any debate. I mean, you can make a debate right now or make an argument. What is the biggest strength on the team? And I think it comes down between, you can say, secondary um, for the on the defense or wide receiving core. And, and really, I think both can make an argument uh, as far as the top tier. Uh, I, I we, we won't get ahead and talk about defense right now, but I, I, think, I think receivers – maybe a little bit um, just kind of 2A with the secondary, only because who is that alpha male right now? We don't know who that is. And I think that's very important. We saw that with Jamarcus Bradley in 2018 and 19. I think that was very important for a quarterback, whoever it was in the pocket, uh, somebody you can always rely on and someone where the offense was built around as far as in the receiving end. And so who was that guy going to be? I think that's very important. I think that's something that Jake DeLome has really talked about when he's been on the radio the last couple of years that, you know, I may have a lot of dogs, but who's that alpha dog? I want to know who that one guy is. So, and we're going to see who that is in the next uh, several weeks, but um, the receiving core, there's no question about it. It's one of the tops in the conference. Well, you got Jeff, uh, Jefferson and Stevens. You mentioned both of them, 6'4", 205, 6'5", 221, respectively. Two big boys that, if they have a good year, they could be on an NFL roster next year. Oh, they have the girth. There's no doubt about it. And and one thing to, um, 
you do, you don't realize that these players, you know, with the technology now these days around the athletic department, they have these microchips that they're placed in the helmets and it's, and allows you to measure their speed on the game field with the helmet being worn. And you want to take a gander who the fastest player on the team is? Jefferson. Close, but it's Peter LeBlanc clocked okay. at 23, clocked at 23 miles per hour and some, and some change. So, I mean, I, I thought that was I, my guess when talking to my inside source about that, and he's a very reliable source, he knows, I, I would have thought it'd be Jacob Bernard. I, I thought he was the fastest player on the team, but it's Peter LeBlanc with those long strides. So I think with a guy like Peter, you're going to see a lot more nine routes that we haven't seen as much in the last couple of years and just really open up that defense, open up those safeties, get them out of the middle of the field, spread it out and allow – those other big receivers to attack that middle. Yeah, you know, you, 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 I, I was going to say Peter, but I thought we were talking about Jefferson and Stevens. I didn't know it was going to be a trick question on me there. So. <laughs> well, well, the reason I asked, because obviously we were talking about the receivers. So you knew it was one of the three, obviously. Yeah. No. And I, I just, I, I just think with Jefferson and Stevens being seniors, that's why I'm talking more about them. I, I think Peter's got it, you know, if he continues to produce, we'll have an excellent opportunity as well to play on Sundays. Uh, but you know, he, he's, uh, he's a junior this year, so he's got another year. Um, but no, uh, yeah, I just, you know, I, I thought at times maybe we had, I hate to say too many receivers because you never know when somebody's going to go down like Peter did with a shoulder injury and all that. But, you know, at the same time you mentioned Jacob Bernard, five ten, 190 pounds, but, Again, I, I think Peter's speed is deceptive because he's taller and takes longer strides. And and Jacob just looks like he's running real fast, you know, kind of like Barney Rubble or Fred Flintstone. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, two other names that we need to give homage to that produce a lot, especially this one guy I'm, going, I'm, about, I'm about to mention is Errol Rogers. And that's somebody that Gerald Broussard, just talking to him in the last couple of years, he loves himself some L. Rogers. And Dante Fleming, who was a big recruit coming out uh, a couple of years ago as well. Those are two other receivers that uh, you could definitely rely on. And um, I think, uh, you know, just when you look at it in totality, just this group as a whole, there's depth. I mean, if one go, if one guy comes in, if one guy goes out with an injury, as you mentioned, with possibly with Peter LeBlanc, who has been hampered with injuries in the past, and all you need to do is just reload. I mean, there's guys just sitting on the benches, just chomping at the bibs to go, uh, to go in. And there's a lot. This this unit, not only I think it's very talented at the top, but it's very deep going down. And uh, it, I think there's no question about it. This unit is going to carry this offense, especially early on. Yeah, Earl Rogers is one that I always forget about. And I brought it on another podcast. forgot who I was talking to. But he seems like the forgotten uh, receiver for me, but seems to come up big in clutch situations and plays a lot. To me, he looks like he plays a lot bigger than 5'11", but at the same time, I'm seven miles in the sky in the, sky, in the, in the, uh, in the radio booth up there. Everybody looks either real tall or real small. So, But Earl Roger, I'm glad you mentioned him because I always forget about him. And then Dante Fleming at 6'1", I think he plays bigger as well. Well, he's one of those athletes where you look at the stat sheet, it doesn't, it doesn't wow you, but you know his name because like what you mentioned, he comes up in big moments. 
to where he will always be remembered by that. And the thing about Earl, the one thing I've noticed when I when seeing him a couple of weeks ago, it's he's put on some muscle. He's bigger. He is thicker than he was a year ago. So he definitely has taken this offseason serious, knowing that his time has arrived. And, you know, a lot of these guys, I think Jefferson and Stevens as well, they both look good. They, I mean, there's some good-looking cats out there all, along the outside. What about Combray? You think he gets uh, – he's he's number two behind Bernard right now. Do you think he gets the playing time? I know if it's, if it's anything like the last couple of years, we're going to play a lot of receivers. Yeah, you're going to play a lot, and um, that, that's a name that hasn't really been mentioned a whole lot the last couple of years, but we'll see. Maybe his time uh, – his number will be called upon a little bit more this season. But, you know, it's a deep unit. It's a very deep unit, and it's a good problem to have. So – you know, I, I expect um, – I, I expect, last year, uh, you've seen this receiver core just kind of work by committee. Just a lot of guys rotating in and out. And I think that had a lot to do with Billy Napier and how he handled things on the offense. Now, with Mike Decimo, I think possibly he may want a little bit more consistency. You know, he may want a guy like Chandler Fields, who is young and who is inexperienced, to have to, – to build a little bit more chemistry with just his top guys. So I think you might see a lot of it more, a lot more of your alpha males in instead of a heavy rotation as we've seen the last year. How big is it for a, for a team to have a head coach that is a former quarterback? Do you think? I mean, obviously, I mean, there's lots. I mean, Mike was the guy on that team for four years, or one of the guy main guys. How how big do you think that is? Is the do you think the players relate to that a lot? Well, I, I think it's big because I think. Somebody like him in his position, he can send the best message to his team, especially to his quarterbacks that he has on staff. Said, listen, hey, I've been through it. You know, I know what it takes to prepare week in and week out. And I've seen it just firsthand, too, as well. I mean, I remember my first couple of years when Mike was the quarterback, the starting quarterback. You know, we had voluntary workouts on a Sunday. And Mike was the one who actually changed that. You know, he went to Ron Phillips, said, no, we got to make this mandatory. I mean, this is what it's going to take for us to have continued success throughout an entire season, because as brutal as it can be physically, you know, we've got to keep our bodies in shape and we got to keep our bodies in order to where these Sunday workouts, you know, they're, they're pivotal, they're important. And another thing about Mike, you know, we would go traveling on a weekend and, you know, we wouldn't get back in until one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning at times, you know, playing a late game on the road, flying in and, you know, sometimes having a little bit of delay with the flight. But, you know, the one thing I really respect about Mike, you know, he's always kept his faith on his shoulder. You know, he'll be there at nine o'clock mass the very next day before, you know, early enough to where he could attend those workouts. And the, the, the reason why I bring that up, it, it has nothing to do with his faith. It's the fact that how disciplined he was. You know, he was a creature of habit. And I think he can send that message out to be better than anybody else who's been in that locker room because he understands athletes, how they are creatures of habits. And just the work and the time that is necessary to put in if you want to be at the top at the very end of the year. And I, I just think that the players, they see that. They hear people talking outside of the athletic department, people that have played with him, people that have been around him. And I think that's been very contagious and they've all, they all know it. You talk to the players, you know, I mean, these kids, you know, they're playing 13, 14, 12, 13, 14 years past Mike's prime. 
and they're hearing all the stories. They know about it. They know the aura that Mike brings. So I, I think they respect that. And I think because of that, you know, they want to live up to the billing. And I think that's very important. And, you know, because of that, you know, this Mike was the perfect man for the job. He is a raging Cajun. You know, he's got his fingerprints all over this program. And uh, I couldn't be more excited about his opening weekend at Cajun Field. Absolutely. You're listening and we're talking tonight. Craig Malonson and Chris Lano, former Cajun, former Cajun announcer. Um talking some football uh you uh i hate to use uh, i i talked about this with cody juno earlier but i i hate to use the word um um forgot how i i put it but the two spots where if you want to say were the thinnest uh but i think it's more of experience versus um depth i think we have plenty of depth at both the running back and the offensive line but let's talk about the running back position and what you see there with christmas and who else is going to step up there well you know that's a um that's a big question mark coming in you know we've seen two young guys in montreal johnson and monty bailey leave to go pursue their careers with other programs and i think that was supposed to be um you know, that was supposed to be the running back by committee for the next several years, you know, but those guys are gone. And I think that just leaves an opportunity for these other talented young backs to come in and fill that void. And, um, you know, one guy that we've maybe we haven't mentioned yet, the, the transfer from Texas A&M, um, I'm trying to think of his name, Cabote. Uh, Jacob, Jacob. Cabote, I mean, he, he, he's, a, he's a big player. He's thick and uh, he can run the ball well. He's more of a north and south runner. And uh, I think he's I think it took a little time for him to learn how to run the football, because I think when he came in, we tried to put him at wide receiver. But I think he fills a void at running back at this point. So he's able to play in his position where he's more comfortable with. Now, back when he was with A&M, you know, talking to my oil field A&M guys when I was living in Houston, when I heard about the transfer, I mean, that running back uh, backfield was loaded. And that was the reason why he transferred. So, you know, when, when you hear about a transfer, the big question you always have to ask, why is he transferring? You know, what's the reason for that? And usually it's, it's, it's really not something that's, you know, positive for, uh, for that matter. But in this case, you know, because of how talented that backfield was, we're talking first, second round picks that went into the NFL draft. I and mean, we're talking guys for four deep, that, a unit that was four deep over at A&M. You know, his best opportunity was here for the Rage of Cajuns. So, you know, you, you look at him, I think is going to get a lot of playing time behind Chris Smith. Uh, Terrence Williams, who did injure himself in the spring of this year. So it's, it's interesting to see how healthy he's going to be opening week. Now, he is listed as a second string along with Kabodi. So I expect him to receive a lot of snaps. And really, I think you're just going to see the majority between those three and Chris Smith. Jacob Cabote and Terrence Williams. Now, Terrence Williams was highly coveted coming out of high school. So, and he was having a good spring up to that point when he hurt his ankle. And um, I think it's going to be fun to see how he carries the bulk. And, uh, but unlike years past, I, I, I see more of Chris Smith carrying the bulk for this running back core, but only because he's the only proven one. And I think he is trained all off season to under, to handle that duty. Uh, so, you're looking in as far as the return game, uh, Eric Garris and Trey Amos. I expect those two cats 
to be much more um much more antiquated with the with the uh, return game to try to keep Chris Smith healthy for the running back position because I you know I, I see Chris Smith and he's going to have one role one role only and that's uh, to be that RB1 and that's where he's going to be heavily needed I agree with you. I think uh, uh, Jacob Cabote, I think he's going to, I think he's going to blossom now uh, where he is with the offense and the, and the other guys have left. I'm, I'm sure when he got here and they tried to move him to receiver, he thought to himself, you know, Texas A&M all over again with all the running backs that we had. So, but uh, let's get to the offensive line though. I mean, we lost a lot over the last couple of years and, and lost some pretty damn good ones. But again, I don't think in my opinion, it's not necessarily depth that's experienced there that, that we don't have. Um, do you know much about the offensive line? Dave, David Hudson looks like he's got the starting center job. Uh, won a, a, a job last year on the offensive line towards the end of the season because of inter- injuries. What do you know about the offensive line? Well, one thing I can say about the offensive line, uh, you know, first you mentioned David Hudson. Let's talk a little bit about David Hudson. Now, I, I think anybody who goes down within that interior between the guard, the two guards, so you're looking at the guard, center guard, after the starters, you're going to look at this one versatile player that can play all three. So it's not necessarily who goes down and who's backing him up is going to be inserted. I think whoever goes down between those three positions, you're going to see that fourth person, whoever it is, the best player available, that person is going to have to be versatile enough to play all three and fill in that void. And in this case, it's David Hudson. So in other words, if Landon Burton was healthy coming into this week, I think he would have remained at center and David Hudson would have been backing up the two guard positions and the center position. Now, Landon Burton is out, so you're going to see David Hudson play. And I think that's his, you know, you're looking at David Hudson, you know, Dirty Dave, you know, that's what G likes to call him, you know, one of my favorite players as well. Um, his dad got to coach me uh, in my years being here. Great guy. Uh, a little bit on the smaller end as far as guard position, but I think he fits in well with that tenacity at the center position, you know, the center position being, being a little bit more cerebral. But uh, I, I think, you know, because he's been in this office for so many years, uh, he's gonna he's gonna fill that void just fine, and you know you, you look at the other positions on this uh, on this um, along this unit, and I, I you know I think the front is very solid, and I think the question mark does lie with the death, but you know Nathan Thomas, AJ Gilly, Jax Harrington, who's a big old country boy sucker, who I, I'm really excited about in in the years to come. I think he's going to be a heck of a player, and we all know about Carlos Rubio, who is very athletic. And somebody, if only can remain healthy, would be an is an all Sun Belt caliber player. So I, I think the front five is solid this year. The question that lies that everyone has been talking about that's been percolating around, you know, media and everybody else uh, associated with Rage Cage football is what's the death like when when somebody goes down? What's it going to look like? How is it going to shuffle? And I think you're going to see a lot of shuffling and. Uh, Unfortunately for this week, Landon Burton's down, but you know, you know, I think uh, Dave Hudson's going to do a good job in the center position. But I think the key to this season, and, and I've heard Scott Prather mention on his show, and he's absolutely right. I couldn't, I, I couldn't emphasize it any better. Is you know, I think the X factor for this entire team going in for all twelve games in the regular season is the offensive line and how healthy it can be. Because I think if healthy, it is going to perform well. 
because I think you're going to see a lot more of a healthy, balanced offense with Chandler Fields using his five receivers. I don't think we're going to be as run-oriented as we have been in the past, but can these guys, can they stay upright for 12 games? And I think that's going to be the big issue lying forward, and we'll just have to wait and see. Well, you know, you brought up, I, I think with, with the injury to Burton, I, I think this brings up a great opportunity, the first game of the season, to get some guys some playing time un, underneath their belt. So hopefully every all hopefully all 10 of those guys that are listed on the depth chart get a lot of time this weekend. So which means that we're A, we're we're gonna we're blowing them out, or B that uh you know that and when I say a lot of playing time, hope none of them go down either. So but all right, let's take our first break. Chris will come back. We'll talk defense and special teams. If you're listening to We're Talking with Craig Malonson and Chris Lano, and tonight we're talking Cajun football. Welcome back into We're Talking tonight. Craig Malonson, Chris Lano, we're talking Cajun football. Chris, uh, let's start out with the defensive line and the guy that I always love to start with, and I think where it starts with Cajun defense, Zion Hill Green. What, you know, the big man has been I, – I just can't say enough good things about him. Okay, full disclosure. I, I've heard this before. Why is he being mentioned as Zion Hill Gr- uh, Green? He what, fit, what's the story he legally, behind this? He legally changed his name. His uh, his stepdad had raised him, and he wanted to honor his, his stepdad. Oh, good for him. Okay. That, so. that reminds me of the story with uh, the Saints wide receiver. Um, Deontay Harris, who changed his name legally from from his stepdad who raised him growing up. And uh, I, I don't know what his legal last name is now, but it just kind of, you know, it, it kind of reflects on that story. But uh, good for him. Uh, that, that, that's, that's a great story. And, um, you know, I'm glad you mentioned that because um, I, I've heard that before and I, I really did not know why. So, OK, well, good, good. But, but OK, but let, 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 let's continue on with Zion Hill. Zion Hill uh, Green, uh, as you mentioned, I mean, he's definitely branded himself as the anchor, not just of the line, but the entire defense. I think he's probably the most recognizable player on this defensive unit. He's been there forever and has really proven himself over the years. And, 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 you know, I I kind of uh, kind of like to compare him to an old John Randall. You remember John Randall in in the early 21st century with the Vikings, the undersized player, but just really got after it. it was great three technique. Uh, low center of gravity, and uh, I, I, I kind of he he kind of re- resembles that a little bit when, when I see him for the Cajuns, and um, you know, and, and that's the one thing going into this season, you know, you look at the defensive line as a whole. I, I think we're pretty solid up front. I really do, and uh, I think we're gonna miss old Humphrey, big 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 old country sucker, who took up a lot of blocks um, in the last year or two, but. You know, I, I like the depth. You know, I like Mason Narcisse. Now, the one thing I don't see on the depth chart when I was looking at it earlier today, and I wonder if it's, if it's an injury issue, was Dalvin Hutchison. Uh, I can know what's going on with him. Uh, I don't see him on here. The one thing I don't like about this depth chart is it doesn't mention who's out, who's injured. And it could be an academic issue because I know there are some players academically who are ineligible this uh, this week. Now, I don't want to speculate. I, I really don't know. I'm just giving out a few uh, scenarios what it could be. But, uh, you know, A.J. Riley coming off the end, uh, a fast rusher, along with Tyler Guidry and Mason Narcisse before he got hurt last year, was a very good productive player. 
and old Sonny Hazard. Right? Sonny Hazard coming in on a third down situation and getting after the passer, and I really like him a lot. And the one guy we have not mentioned yet is um, is Andre Jones, uh, who's been there for several years, really developed his body into this offseason. Uh, off he, I mean, he looks like a man-child out there. And I think Andre Jones, not to try to get too much ahead of myself, uh, you know, going into this segment with the defense, but I think he's poised to have an all Sunbelt year, not just all conference, but potentially defensive player of the year. I think he has that potential that which lies ahead going into the season. Yeah. I think there's a couple guys, you know, uh, I, I, you know, I, I don't think Zion gets enough credit sometimes uh, because a lot of times I think he's double team uh, and that's going to give, that's going to give opportunities for guys like AJ Riley and Andre Jones to come in and, you know, we, we lost a couple of big guys there at the linebacker position, but I think we've, we've had some depth and some experience there coming, uh, coming back also that will help us out tremendously. So it, it'll be interesting the, the, the one, uh, I don't know a whole lot about Jordan Lawson, uh, but at 6'4", 246, he's a pretty good-sized guy. Uh, Richard Freshman, too. Yeah. Richard Freshman. And, you know, I, I have to kind of echo what you just said. I don't really know a whole lot about him either. I, I don't. And, you know, talking about the linebackers that you mentioned earlier, I mean, that's one of the issues I had going into this season. Now, I think we're going to see the freshman play a lot this year from West St. John, uh, the Edwards kid, um, um, K- Caleb Edwards. I mean, he was, he's probably going to be the prize recruit coming out of that 2021 recruiting class. I, I think he is going to be, he's going to highlight that class in the next several years. Um, he was a big, big, big name coming out, out of West St. John, out of Edgar, Louis, Edgar Louisiana. And he is going to play a lot of snaps this season. He will not take a red shirt. And uh, I, I think the linebacker core, especially with the absence in the transfer portal uh, with, with uh, Lorenzo McCaskill going to Kansas, uh, really this linebacker core was was really reliant between two people last year. It really was between McCaskill and my guy, Farrar for Gardner, one of my favorite players to ever put on a Cajun helmet. Uh, Farrar Gardner, one of the most versatile linebackers I've ever seen. He reminds me of an old Mark Fields for the Saints. Uh, was able, had the ability to run down receivers down the field, um, you know, playing uh, deep in the secondary as a linebacker. Just just a very athletic linebacker. Uh, guy I like to compare him to. But he will be missed uh, as he's trying to pursue his career in the NFL. But, you know, we have some young guys coming in. Uh, Quibido has played a lot of snaps. Uh, Chris Moncrief, he's not more of your traditional inside linebacker, although that's what he's going to play now. He's more of a rush outside linebacker. So I think he's going to you're going to see him move around the field, find ways to utilize his speed and his power along the outside. And, um, you know, Andre Jones is going to be more of that stand up. Uh, two point outside linebacker just getting after the quarterback and just and just causing havoc. And Tyler Gidry, another one of those players you're going to see also outside and inside. So I mean, there there are names that we have used in the past, but I think the experience factor still lies in just the overall proven ability that, that we haven't seen much of these guys as well. So this was one of the big question marks I had coming into this season was that linebacker, but I think there is talent. 
Yeah, I think so too. When you look at it, you look at the talent and the talent returning again, lots of depth there, maybe not as much experience as we're used to, but at the same time, you're dealing with college kids. So you're usually not going to have them more than four years unless something crazy like COVID and a red shirt year and a, and then a, 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 an injury red shirt year. And all of a sudden they're, they're here for seven years. So, I mean, I think you're always replacing guys. It's just the timing and you don't want to replace them all at the same time, you know? So. Right. But you know, as you mentioned, you know, with Ferrari Gardner, who, who has played every year he's been here and also was granted that COVID year as well. So, and I think because of that, you know, getting the bulk of the snaps on that, linebacker position the last five six seven years however however long it's been you know it's taken away a lot of opportunity from a lot of these other players so all of a sudden they're inserted even though they've been in the program for a couple of years you know you're kind of just going to really start hearing their names for the first time so the experience factor does linger with a few of these guys but you know we both mentioned and we'll say it again they are talented and i think uh they've been chomping at the bits in the offseason to finally get on the playing field knowing that they, it, it is their time their name is going to be called upon and uh i'm excited and i think what really helps is a very good formidable defensive front as well as a secondary in the back end that we're going to talk about he- ahead i think one thing that that we forget about is that these guys didn't get a whole lot of playing time last year not because they weren't any good it was that the guys in front of them were, were really good. Very good. You know, Very they went good. 13 and one. It's kind of hard to, uh, it's kind of hard to say that you didn't have the right guys playing. Yeah. And, and you look at the last couple of years, the games we have lost. If you, if you really study the games, it was because, you know, it was all the one common denominator in those games. Farad Gardner was out. He was out against Coastal Carolina at home. And he was out the entire second half, plus a little bit more in the Texas game. Now, I'm saying the Texas game is a little bit more lopsided than what you think. So I don't, he may have not have been the reason, but still, in fact, we know he was out in that game and other games as well. When he had to miss playing time, you know, the cages did not come out on top. So I think he was such a key contributor at that linebacker position uh, in the last couple of years that I think that's just a big shoe you got to fill. And I think these players are going to do well at it. Absolutely. Now, where I, I think this this it, I think it's a toss up uh, between the wide receivers and the defensive back. Where we have the most depth and where we have the most talent on this team right now, in my opinion, definitely the, in my opinion, probably the most talented uh, on the defensive side is our defensive backs. Am I am I am I overstating it too much there? Well, let me put it this way. I, I think, you know, we, I've talked about this with several insiders, uh, those very close to the program. And, you know, you look at the Osiris Torrances, the Montreal Johnsons, and the Makai Gardners, those players who have left that, you know, you're seeing NFL written all over their bodies playing on Sundays. So the question is, okay, who is that NFL body that's left? that you see who is that next man up that you're going to see on Sundays when their time is coming And the name that always pops up. The one that I always, that always comes uh, first to mind is Trey Amos. I, I think he is that person, you know, at a big body at cornerback uh, standing at six, one 197 pounds. That's a big body, a big frame, just his ability to 
change direction. If you just watch him, the way he moves his hips and just his footwork, how talented he is. And he was somebody that I was warned about coming out of high school. Hey, man, you got to watch how athletic this kid is. I mean, this guy's the real deal. And he played right away as a corner, his true freshman year. And I think he is poised to just have a breakout season at the cornerback position. So you're looking at two corners and Eric Garrett, who is who basically shuts down half the field, and Trey Amos, who is, I believe, is our next big NFL prospect. And I, I think we have one of the better corner tandems in the entire country. And, and I think that's the unit you have to look most excited about. And we talked about it earlier, and you just mentioned it now, when you're comparing wide receivers and secondary because of our cornerback play and with the experience and just the overall girth and talent ability we have along the cornerback position, I have to give the secondary that nod. I just, uh, I'm glad you said that about Trey, because when Cody and I talked earlier, I said, am I wrong? Am I, I, does this kid have the opportunity to play on Sundays? I mean, it's 6-1. I know he's 197, which is not great. But at the same time, most NFL defensive backs are not what you'd call, you know, bulky or anything. So I think he's got a great opportunity. And he's progressed from his uh his his the two seasons he's been here that I really think he if he if he makes that next step and by the time he's a senior uh, I I think you're definitely going to see him on Sundays and, and look we're talking about his girth we're talking about his physical prowess okay six one one ninety seven but what those listening in and I hope there are a lot of people who do listen in understand something he can play. I mean, he's a great football player. He doesn't just have the size. He's got the ability on the, and the potential to go along with it. And he's a smart kid. He's a great individual. I mean, if you, if you ever come across him in the hallway, you meet him right before a game, he'll sit, he'll sit there, he'll tell you hello, he'll talk to you, and uh, just, just highly disciplined. And just one of the, the better recruits Billy Napier was able to bring into this program, and I'm just so glad to have him. But the cat can play to go along with his size and frame. Uh, exactly. And I, I was not trying to focus just on his size because I I think he's, from what I've seen, he, you know, he made some mistakes his freshman year. His freshman year, he did. But, he got – and just so people know, his first game was against Iowa State. He made yep. a few mistakes. But, man, you're coming out of high school into Iowa State. Yeah, you know, national one of the top television. quarterbacks in the country. Right, top quarter and, and Brock Purdy coming out, top quarterbacks on ESPN. I mean, I, I, I just really, I was, I, I was more impressed coming out of that game with him, just given the fact it was his first game. Forget about the mistakes, just understand the situation at hand. And now he's just, he's ready to break out. He is, I think, he's been nurtured. Uh, he's got the experience. You know, he understands the defense now. I think he's. Worked with a great cornerbacks coach in Lamar Morgan uh, when he was here. And now that he's back as a defensive coordinator with a lot more familiarity with him. And uh, I'm excited about it. I'm excited to watch him play. Yeah. And when, when I was talking about his mistakes too, some of it was he's, he's a big physical guy and he, he puts his hands on defenders and uh, he got, he, he got caught for that a couple of times, but at the same time, those are the kind of things that I can live with. It's, it's, I'd rather that than him getting beat for a, a 70 yard touchdown or a 50 yard or hell a five yard touchdown. You know, <laughs> I, I want my guys to be physical. I want them to be out there because they don't call it most of the time. Quite no, frankly. they don't. They don't. 
what else you seen in there at safety? I know uh, Cam Badesco is he's he's been that kind of all around guy for us the last couple years. Gets to play a little bit of linebacker every now and then. You know, I I, I just you know Braylon Trahan Trahan. I mean, uh, just again five eleven two oh one. I think we've got some size. We've got some experience back there. It looks like everybody on the team, you know, has, has got some playing time underneath their belt. Well, you look at the safety position, and you can make an argument at corner, uh, especially with Eric Garrett, who's a four-year or five-year starter, whatever that is. But the safety position, when you're looking at both players, uh, with both safeties, uh, with Cam Podesco and Blake Trahan, I, I, you know, I question if any other unit has more total snaps in underneath their belts than these two guys. I mean, they've been together forever. They came into the program around the same time and they're going to leave around the same time. And, and they've been playing along each other. They understand each other. They, they have great chemistry on the field. They understand uh, their roles uh, at the safety position. And um, I, I think with that being said, I'm so comfortable having Podesco and Trahan in that safety position to go along with these, with these great athletic experienced cornerbacks. And uh, like I, like we talked about, we'll say it again, this secondary there, I don't really think there's much to worry about. And also a name we haven't mentioned and who's not on the depth chart. And for whatever reason that may be is AJ Washington. And Washington is another player who's very talented, very physical. I mean, we saw him get after it against Texas a couple, uh, a year ago in opening week, and he had a great year to go along with it. But uh, for whatever reason, he will not be available this week. But that's another name to look out for. Absolutely. You're listening. We're talking tonight. Craig Malonso and Chris Leno, and we're talking football. Uh, Chris, let's. Uh, when you were at the scrimmage, I don't know. Did they kick off? Did they do field goals, or was? It, I mean, did you get to see the 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 kick? I guess the uh, the kicking game at all. Well, I mean, you can't really take a whole lot from the kicking game. Uh, I don't think they were allowed to rush the punter and rush and rush the kicker and for injury purposes. You know, you try to avoid that. It's a very aggressive approach um, uh, within a scrimmage. And, you, you know, you don't – there's a lot more to lose in the game when you run those plays. So you, you allow your kicker just to make their kick stay crisp with your blocks up front and just have a good snap and you kind of worry about the fundamentals. But I think the kicking game, you know, we don't really need to – uh, second guess ourselves, it's going to be a lot of the same. You know, you got Reese Burns coming back who pins the ball inside the 10 better than anybody else that I can think of in years past, especially in a Cajun uniform. Um, I think the punter, uh, yeah, with Reese Burns, the punter, but the kicker position, you know, you're going to see between Preston Stafford or Kenneth Almondaris and kind of a shocker. You know, I kind of like to hear about it. I kind of like to hear this too, even though we all assumed it was going to be Almondaris coming in to do the place kicking. You know, Mike's hopped on it all offseason during fall camp. You know, there, there's a battle going on. There's a battle going on between the two kickers in Stafford and Almondaris. And, you know, I, I, right now, uh, I think Stafford is listed ahead of Almondaris. Uh, but I think you're going to see a little bit of both uh, in Southeastern. But the one thing I do see happening is the first time somebody misses, you're going to see the next person be inserted and given that opportunity. Uh, next man up because I think both guys I mean we saw with Alvin Darris I mean, he has proven himself to be a formidable kicker and uh, Stafford must have been doing some really good things in the offseason to have his name um, uh, be mentioned by Mike Desimo as a potential I, I don't want to use the word replacement 
but somebody who's contending for that starting spot. Uh, so I think the kicking position, um, I feel very good about the place speaking position. We all know we have the partner in Reese Burns. We don't even need to talk about him anymore. Uh, one of the most secure spots we have on this entire team. But the kicking position, I think, is going to be a very interesting one going into because I think we have two guys that Mike really likes. And really, it's just like almost like the flip of a coin, you know, whose name's going to be called up first to do that first kick. And um, hopefully that person can stay consistent throughout the course of the season. Let's uh, let's talk about a guy that nobody wants to talk about and, and a guy that nobody wants to hear their name called during a game. The long snapper. The long snapper. That's it. I mean, but right now, Hunter Sims or, or – oh, my goodness. Shut up. I'm talking to uh, my thing over here that I don't know why listening to me there. Um, <laughs> one of my uh, Amazon devices was talking to me. Thought, I, thought I'd mentioned her name. So, but um, Hunter Sims and Carter Mill – Milleron, Milleron, I don't know. Milleron, Milleron. Okay. Milleron. Uh, you know, Hunter's a redshirt freshman. That's that's a big thing, I think, for for a redshirt freshman to come in and long snap. But if they're the best guys, like I said, we hope we never hear their name unless it's uh, like who was it? Um, uh, unless it's an app state on a rainy day. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, we really don't want to hear it then. But uh. uh Jake, um, he, he actually, he was always the first guy down on punts. Uh, the, uh, Jake, uh, you know, I, I think I know who you're talking about. And, um, oh, you know, the man. Poor guy, I, I remember him being uh, blindsided against Alabama on a punt team, on, on a punt. Uh, poor guy. I, Jake I remember Gidry. watching that live at the time. Say it again. Jacob, Gid Jacob Gidry. Okay, Jacob Gidry. It, it, it may or may not have been him. I don't remember, but uh, I'm sorry no. if, it, if, if it the parts wasn't. I the parts I remember is he was always the the first guy down making the tackle on the punt well, team. Well, you know, it's funny you mention that because in high school I was a deep snapper. Oh, I was. So I, I know a little bit about the psyche. No, oh, no, really. <laughs> no, you, you should apologize to the punter, not oh, me. Yeah, I was going to so, say. So, but no, but seriously, I understand a little bit about the psyche of a punter and, you know, in my, of a uh, deep snapper. And one thing I, I, sh I remember sharing this on social media during the whole app state debacle uh, when that was going on. And that was when I was a deep snapper for three years at Hornville, I've had two bad snaps, two bad snaps in my entire three-year career. And they came back to back back-to-back -back in the same game. So it, it just becomes a psychological, just, it, it, it's just traumatizing when you do it the first time, you know, with your muscle memory, you tend to do it again. And it's like, you're just trying to get through the game at that point. So, I, and I think that's what happened a few years ago with our deep snapper. It got into his head after the first bad one. And then muscle memory tends to kick in. And I, it just, for that, we saw the conundrum that took place. Yeah. But as far as the deep snapper, you know, you never want to hear his name. And uh, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. I don't want to put anybody yeah. else talking about the deep snapper. No, I just wanted to mention <laughs> now, and hopefully this is the last time we have to talk about him. So that's it. Put it to bed. So uh, let's, let's, you mentioned though, when we were going over the running backs, you didn't think Chris Smith would be back on kickoff returns, but he's listed. Uh, he is and, listed. He and, is. And I, I'm not saying you're wrong. Um, 
but I, I think it's one of those things. He's such a valuable asset back there. And I think that besides the fact that he's a valuable asset, and I know he's going to be our lead running back. I'm not, I'm not, but if, if he's going to play on Sundays, it's going to probably be as a kick returner. Don't you and, think? And, you know, I understand. I, I think this plays a little bit of part into it. Uh, it's, it's my theory on kickoff returning to open a game with your running back. I think it allows your running back to touch the ball first, and it kind of gets those cobwebs out a little bit. Handle the ball, know the feeling of the ball, uh, because you have time before you make contact. It, it, it's not something that's bang, bang right away, so you have time to secure it. And you, you kind of work out those wrinkles a little bit in those seconds between you make contact from the time you receive it to the time you make first contact. So I, I, I think I think that plays a part into it a little bit. It's, it's kind of a theory I have. So you, you allow a Chris Smith to go return to opening kickoff to allow him to touch the ball first instead of trotting onto the football field and then touching the ball, getting a handoff and immediately making contact with the offensive line. So I, I, I think that could be, it could be not. It could be something that um, this is totally irrelevant. But, you know, I, I can see that happening, opening kickoff. You know, you put in a Chris Smith because he is going to get your first carry. Just just kind of uh, get, him, get him a little bit more acclimated before he goes in the first play of offense. But, you know, I think throughout the course of the game, though, you're going to see more of an Eric Guerra or a Trey Amos, somebody who is just as versatile as in the return game. And we've seen it with Guerra. I mean, he's multi-talented, and I think he is going to be your long-term answer. Uh, absolutely. I, I, You know, he's he's had his moments as well, but at the same time, electrifying uh, when he gets the opportunity to return the kick. Uh, punt return, pretty much like I said, uh, I think it's Eric Guerra back there until, until, you know, if, it, until it's late in the game, we've got a big lead or, uh, or, or, you know, um, Eric Guerra goes down, but I, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, at some point Trey Amos uh, getting the opportunity to return a kick. Cause I think that would be pretty fun and exciting. Yep. No, it will be. It will be. And, um, you know, we, we've seen their abilities, what they were able to do against Iowa State a couple of years ago, and hopefully we see a lot of more of that in the games to come. Well, Chris, uh, we've kind of touched out on the players, but and I, I, didn't, I said we weren't going to, but at the same time, uh, I've got the schedule pulled up. What do you think about how the schedule lays out for the Cajuns as far as do you like do you like the Power Five game it towards the end of the season? Love it. I, I love it, but I think also I love how the scheduling was kind of reversed in the way of playing ULM opening uh, early on in the year. Kind of get that game out. Uh, not not saying it, it's a throwaway game that you you know you should beat. Although you should beat them, you should beat ULM. I think the over and under total wins for the Warhawks uh, this season uh, is one either one and a half or two, something like that. So there's not a lot expected out of this program for, for the 22 season. But uh, I, I like, uh, for that fact, I like how we played them early. I love the mid to late November game with Florida State. That is a game that my buddies and I, I think the Gridiron alumni are getting together. We're going to try to make that our official road game for the year. I'm excited about the Rice matchup. I, that's another road game I will make from home. Uh, I've already got that uh, date circled on my calendar. Uh, I spent a lot of time in Houston for 10 years living there. I got old buddies I like to go um, 
like to go visit and watch a good football game there against Rice. And, um, you know, I, I think uh, I like the South Alabama match early. I think that's going to be the first real big test with flying bullets for, for this team. And, you know, I, I, I like the I like how the schedule's laid out. The one thing I, I don't like is the early uh, – is, is the very short rest, turning around, playing on a Thursday. And I, I, you're going to have to uh, mention the team that we play against early on on the road. I can't, I can't think of, of it off the top of my head, but I well, think that's going to be the biggest challenge this season. The, 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 the Thursday game that we had the short turn on, or, well, there's two of them. One is on the road. Uh, we One's go, on the road. Uh, we've got Arkansas State at home, then we head to Southern Miss. It's the Southern Miss game on the road. And I think, yeah. uh, you know, it's one of those – it's kind of one of those tweeners, you know, do you drive, do you fly? What do you do going to Hattiesburg? And, you know, it's one thing if you have to drive, that could be a little bit. Uh, My understanding you know, is the team's flying. To Hattiesburg, flying. Okay, that that's uh, interesting. Okay. It, it, uh, the reason given my understanding is, was that they have class the next day and to get them back in time for class. That makes the most sense. That does make uh, the most sense. It gives them an extra couple hours to, uh, to, uh, to of rest um no I, I i agree with you there the the one uh i like the fact that we have you know we play south alabama at home then we go to marshall and we've got 11 days in between so and that's on a wednesday night uh so you know it, it's that that's real doable i think um i, I just i i love the way the the schedule is set up as far as if you look at all the top teams that we play, um, they're all at home except for Marshall. Except for Marshall. Yep. Uh, I'm talking about Sunbelt Conference for those that listen. So Texas State is away. Right. They, they, they haven't been at the top. Uh, Southern Miss, new to the league, struggling a little bit last year, but uh, came on towards the end. Uh, got a new uh, second-year coach, Will Hall, who was offensive coordinator here uh, back in HUD stays. So, uh, you know, we're home against South Alabama. We've got – we're on the road against ULM. No offense to the ULM fans if you're listening, but those are, those are the teams that we have on the road. And the, and the, and the one game that uh, – and I'm confident with 11 days – let me look at Marshall's schedule real quick. I've got it right here. Um well, they're off the same number. That's right. They'd be off the same number of days because it's a Wednesday game and not a Thursday game. So, but it is their only, there is their only weeknight game. So, I, I, I like the way the schedule is set up this year. So, and, and you know, the first thing you look at when the schedule comes out is how many Saturday night games hold this season now that is all pending that's all subject to change because of tv contracts so we don't know how it's going to play out throughout the course of the season but as of right now you're looking at five correct me if i'm wrong saturday night games in Cajun field and i think you know somebody like like me who lives out here in new orleans and likes to attend those games you know that's a lot to look forward to as well yeah the only uh, uh the only game that uh probably as of right now is an earlier kickoff and that could even move is uh, South Alabama because it's homecoming. So that would make sense. But I don't see the Arkansas State game moving. Um, and who's next? Troy. 
Now that's got a possibility, but in November, if you move that up to a one or a two o'clock kickoff and, and you had some daylight there, that could be an exciting weekend. I think Troy is going to be that team that that's going to really improve this year. And uh, I think, I think that's who we'll be battling for a Western conference title. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree. I, I think it's between Louisiana and Troy this year. I kind of, you know, go through the process of elimination. You you eliminate Louisiana Monroe. You eliminate Texas State. Uh, Arkansas State, I, I still think they're trying to find their way with their new head coach. Um, and uh, they got, I mean, they got a, their defense last year was just historically, historically bad. And that, that's just a lot of, um, just a lot of shoes they got to fill uh, defensively before they can actually get uh, back to, you know, being in contention. And that's it, it, a lot of work they got to do on that side of the football before they can really crown themselves as champions. So, I, you know, I, I eliminate Arkansas State. Uh, but Troy, as you mentioned, is one of those um, teams, one of those programs that's kind of, um, you know, working their way up the ladder. I think they're going to really contend Louisiana on that Western spot. Well, Chris, I appreciate your time tonight. Any last words of wisdom you want to give to us before we go into battle Saturday? Well, I'll give you some words if I have any wisdom, but in that case, I don't have any. So, (laughs) but I'm looking forward to coming out there. Uh, My wife is still deciding whether or not she's going to come up there with me along with the kids. If not, uh, I do want to say one thing. I will be attending my high school football game on Friday. We play Arch Manning and the Newman, whatever they are. I don't even know the mascot they are, but we are playing Newman and, um, can you think about it? Do you know what their mascot I is? I think I want to say the Cardinal, maybe. No, the because they're green. They're green. It's the Newman. It, I cannot believe both of you and I are, are being stumped by this. We don't uh, even know. But I can tell you're looking it up right now. Yeah. Um, it's, it's you know, you bring it up. I call, I, I, aren't they the Mannings? <laughs> the Mannings, yeah. Uh, uh, what? The Beckhams? I, I used to know where to look all this stuff up, and now I'm like totally lost. But uh, the Newman Greenies? I mean, I, I, honestly, are they are they the Greenies? I, I don't even know what they are. You know, but but all that aside, you know, Archie Manny coming in the Hornville, I get to see what he's all about. Uh, I'll, I'll get to finally, you know. Uh, see from my own eyes if the potential and if the hype is all there you know what they say he truly is and I'm, I'm looking forward to that so you know I, I get to look forward to a good fun well first of all on Thursday night um, you got a good matchup between Louisiana Tech and Missouri that I'm looking forward to then you got the Hornville game that I'm going to and then you got the big Saturday showcase between Southeastern and Louisiana so it's going to be a great extended weekend uh, to look forward to for myself and uh, you know just a great way to kick off college football yeah it, um gosh I, I played basketball in their gym i mean i should all right newman high school here we go let's see no that's not it that's western australia <laughs> <laughs> uh newman high school and everybody's going like, will you, will you two bozos get off or make make a decision here? Isidore Newman High School, yes. Is that? Yes. 
They are the Greenies. The Greenie Gator. That's right. I, I, I thought, you know, I thought they were. I, I thought they were the Greenies. Well, uh, you know, I played basketball there, but that was 1981. <clears throat> so were you born in 1981, Chris? Yeah, close. 86. Okay. Oh, my God. <laughs> Okay, well, it's time to end this call. You, uh, us old folks, got to go to bed. Jay was born in eighteen eighty-one. <laughs> <laughs> Stop it! I, I'm pretty sure it was eighteen ninety-eight. He was here when the university was founded. <laughs> he carried the flag up Bunker Hill. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! I had lunch with him today. We'll have to talk off air. All right, you've been listening to Word Talking. Craig Malasa and Chris Lano, and we'll be talking football every week with Chris. Thanks. Thanks again, Chris. Appreciate you. I uh, look forward to it every week. Thanks, buddy. All right. Any redistribution or reproduction of any part or all of the contents in any form is prohibited, except, ah, uh, who the hell are we kidding? Distribute it, share it, put it in your podcast, broadcast it, or put it on social media. Just give credit where credit's due.